As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live, small group, cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training, kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway, in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is. And save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. Welcome to the Rocket Ship Podcast. I'm Michael Saka. I'm Joelle Steiniger. And I'm Matt Goldman. And we're having 20 minute talks with entrepreneurs teaching you how to launch your product into revenue. Check out our book at howtobuildarocketship.com to reserve your launch discount and to download a free chapter. Today on the podcast, we talk with Nick O'Neill, founder of Startup Stats, about event planning. He shares his process for deciding what kind of event to plan, lining up speakers, and ticket sales. There's an amazing amount of similarities to launching a product. Check it out. Hey guys, I wanted to take a minute to thank Codeship for sponsoring the show. Codeship makes continuous deployment simple and easy, and we've actually been happy customers of theirs for a very long time. You should go to codeship.io slash rocketship 
to check out videos and tutorials all about how you can start using CodeShip to deploy your product in a better way. We'd also like to thank Envision App. Envision is by far the best prototyping and collaboration tool on the market. I can personally say I can't imagine delivering another design comp without it. It made collaborating with our entire team incredibly easy, and the annotation tool alone saved us hours of back and forth. Go to envisionapp.com forward slash rocketship and sign up to get their starter plan free for 90 days. This comes complete with unlimited screens and unlimited collaborators. Trust me, this is an essential tool for teams of all sizes. Welcome to the Rocketship Podcast. We're here with Nick O'Neill, founder of Startup Stats. Nick, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. So for those who don't know, why don't you uh, give a little background of what you've been doing the past few years? Wow. Well, the past few years have been interesting. I, I think the area to focus in on would be... So a few years ago, I had sold a company uh, in online media. Uh, the largest site was actually all Facebook. And I covered Facebook exclusively. I put that as part of Social Times. And I basically covered the social media space and hosted events around it. Over the past couple of years, I've been... I've been trying a bunch of different things. So uh, I, I built a mobile app company, ran that for a year and shut it down. And uh, I basically re-entered the media space with uh, Startup Stats, which is what I've been working on now. And for those who don't know, um, tell us a little bit about Startup Stats. So originally it started as tools that I was developing to track startups and I combined it with editorial. And so the main objective is to find out which startups are growing and understanding uh, you know, what pra practices, best practices they're implementing in order to experience that growth. Very cool. Um, and then probably I would say you're best known for a lot of the content that you create. Um, you've been blogging a ton over the past uh, couple of years and now you've gotten into the event planning space. Um, why don't you tell us about some of the events you're planning and how you even got into that in your copious amounts of spare time? So, you know, I, yeah, I don't, I don't have spare time, but it's because I actually uh, like just filling all of my time with uh, random tasks. So right. uh, back when I was actually doing all Facebook, I hosted events and uh, it actually started because I was at an O'Reilly event in Washington, D.C., I actually had helped out uh, Dave McClure. He, he had hosted an event called Graphing Social Patterns. Uh, it started out here in California, and they decided to do an East Coast one. So I helped out some with their DC event. And while I was there, I decided literally while I was at the event, hey, we should, uh, we should host an event. So I walked around the room, asked people if they wanted to participate. I actually got a sponsor right there at that event, and an event came out of it. So that was, man, that was a while ago. Uh, that was probably around 2010. And at that point, I just started hosting events from there. That one was really successful. And so I decided to start doing more of them. And yeah, so now I'm, I'm doing it again. It's just a great channel for revenue. Uh, I understand, you know, anyone who builds a product is always like, why are you doing events? That makes no sense. You got it. It's so much work. But I think building a product, you know, is also a ton of work. 
And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's great uh, building a product, but the first you build the product, you then have all the time where you're trying to grow the customers. And uh, with events, it's sort of a very tangible thing. Here's the date. And on that date, here's how much money uh, we should have generated out of that event. Yeah. And what's really interesting about it, too, is that it kind of feeds into growing your customer base as well, depending on the kind of events you're planning, of course. But, um, you know, as you're building a product, you cannot do that in a hole or a silo. You've got to be building relationships with people. What better way to do that than planning events that provide some value and making some money while you do it? Totally. That's been my pitch to a lot of companies. You know, many people are very skeptical of it. I think the primary source of skepticism, and it's a valid point, uh, for a product company is that their time would be better served focused on optimizing the product uh, versus going out and hosting events. But, and, you know, early on, it's, it's going to be practically impossible for anyone to pull off an event. But I think you can start with small events. It could be anything as small as a dinner is a valid way to start growing things. You don't need to start with a full-blown, you know, conference or seminar or whatever where you have 100-plus or even a thousand people sort of thing, you can start small. So let's, so I, go ahead. No, that's it. Let's say that you were hosting a dinner event. What would that look like? What's the planning look like going up to it? How do you find people to attend? Is it, um, are people paying a fee to participate? So I've been looking into this a lot recently. I used to host dinners myself, but I just covered the cost. I'd buy food and then cook it for the people when they came over. I, I did that when I first moved out here to San Francisco. But um, so now the approach that I am trying to focus around is having people that cover the cost of the event. So maybe like $100 or something like that. Now, for $100, it's an incredible dinner. Uh, I think basically, so I go through and I set a target of people that I'm interested in. And then I also chat with them over time to find out, you know, what are they looking to learn about? Or what, where do they need help with their existing business or in life or whatever it may be and try to connect them? That's a really high curation sort of process. And I'd use like a CRM to keep track of who are these people and who are the people that I want to have at these different events and track them over time. Before, I was not as structured with it. If you're talking about doing it for marketing purposes or, you know, d- definitive networking purposes, then having a little more structure to that process makes a lot a lot of sense. When Rain Wilson realized he had a special gift for talking people to sleep, he had two choices. Construct a massive speaker that would blast his voice to every person in the country or invent a talking pillow. AT&T Business eventually talked him into the pillow thing. And backed by a reliable network, the only network with built-in security controls, Sleep With Rain was a hit. Take your ideas to the moon and beyond at business.att.com. That's business.att.com. This episode is brought to you by Yahoo Finance. 
Wouldn't it be great if you could see all of your investment and retirement accounts in one place? With Yahoo Finance, you can consolidate your views with multiple accounts into one hub and access the expert analysis you need to tend to your entire portfolio with confidence. Honestly, this has been a lifesaver for me. I've used Yahoo Finance to consolidate all of my various 401k and investment accounts so I can see everything all in one place. And it makes it incredibly easy to manage. So if you're struggling with that, check out Yahoo Finance. For over 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including your 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart a great investor. And that's how Yahoo Finance ensures that you have the insights to look at your wealth in its entirety. So go to yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. And what does the structure of that night look like? Is so, is there a, uh, I'm guessing there's not a speaker. You're just bringing together people that would get along and learn from one another into a room based on what they've told you they need to learn or who they need to talk to. So there's an infinite number of ways, I think, to approach it. I think I view events as editorial as well. So uh, you can either decide to say, hey, here's the story that we want to have told tonight. And that story could be, you know, a bunch of people got in a room and connected with people that could help them out in the future or that they just, you know, uh, hit it off with. That's not much of a story, but it could be, you know, there's actually an objective of sitting there. I mean, it really depends on what you're trying to accomplish. So you could say like, we're getting together a group of people to actually make some change, for example, in which case the conversation is going to center around that and you're now moderating that conversation versus we're going to connect a bunch of interesting people together in a room and see what happens from that, in which case you'd now more structure the types of conversations and maybe some questions that we can go around and have people answer that can give us insight about those individuals. So I know you've got a big event coming up in September. Uh, you mentioned it was called SAS Masters. Yep, SAS Masters. So tell us about that and like even the sales process of, of filling up that event and what you've gone through you know, trying to sell tickets for it. So it actually all started because I did a call on Clarity FM, actually, which I've been experimenting with, uh, which is a site where you go on and find uh, different coaches, if you want to call them that, basically experts in their field that may be able to give you insight on an area of your business that you're having challenges with. And I just decided to start calling and chatting with people. And I chatted with one person, I'm blanking on his name right now, but he walked me through the process of how he pre-sold his product, a $40,000 worth of his product and the entire sales process that he used from start to finish. And he showed me everything, including, you know, what the pitch was. And it was a Google doc that he'd display on a screen and walk people through that. And that was just priceless for me. And it clicked right then. I was like, man, other people in the world, they need to see this. So I basically put, decided to right then just do an event. And I also decided y you could go broad with this. You could say, are you looking to 
increase the revenue of your business, but I decided to focus pretty niche on SaaS companies specifically. And so I just started with that. And honestly, I started emailing a few people and they all said they'd speak. And within 48 hours, I had an event. So I, once I had the speakers lined up, uh, I started, you know, creating a website, setting up the, which I had a template from my last event for. Uh, I also uh, set up a document that I provide people with to give them a little more information, especially if they need to convince a boss that they want to come to this event. It's sort of a tangible, it's not actually tangible, but I like thinking of PDFs as sort of digitally tangible things that they can provide to their boss or someone else to sort of justify attending. And after I had that information created, I started selling. Honestly, I started trying, I did some cold emails and that's been an interesting process. So I did cold emails. I also have an existing newsletter. I sent uh, an email out to them. And also just by attending events, I I was at hanging out with a friend actually who decided to put together a little get together and of people had some drinks, went out, hung out. And uh, one of the guys who was there ended up buying a ticket as well. So I'd say those are probably the three ways that I go about selling. Uh, But the first is an idea, build a, you know, a concept for that event, chat with people about it, and then just start selling pretty much. And do you have any like cap in mind of quantity when you get started, or are you just like selling it as much as you can um, and, no, so, you know, figuring out the rest later? So I'm pretty particular with this process simply because I've gone to a lot of events that just don't deliver. And a lot of that can be, it becomes overwhelming when you have too many people there. So uh, my number is 100 right now. That's the number that I did my last event at in November, which was a dinner conference, which was sort of an alternative uh, spin on things. And with this, it's also a hundred people. I think a hundred people is the way to go because you also, the problem is, is when you, and keep in mind, this is a much more hands-on process. So it takes way more time versus the, you know, spray and pray approach where it's, uh, let me send out uh, to this newsletter, to that newsletter. Here's a link with your discount code on this Eventbrite page. I don't do any of that because I feel like it doesn't generate a high quality audience. I actually do a call with every single attendee who's coming to this event. I didn't do that last time as much, but I did have them fill out a form. I'm trying to make sure that I provide as much value to people who are attending. And so that's... So are you just kind of asking them, like, what are you looking to get out of it? Um, those kinds of questions? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it's kind of like customer development that you would be doing if you were building a product. You know, you're finding out what they want. I think that's also a great way of viewing it. You know, doing these events and doing even media for that, uh, for that matter uh, is it can help you actually understand what's going on in the market as well as uh, I'd say a third one would be doing consulting. But getting out there and understanding what the market wants, it, it gives you access to many more people, both media and events. And so you can start to get a better understanding of how people are thinking about things. But yeah, so the question to answer your question uh, is I end up asking them pretty much what, you know, what are they looking to accomplish? Why did they register? 
and uh, how, you know, if they walked away from this event, you know, what would be the biggest thing that they could take away? And so that's it. So does that then guide the, the topics that the speakers are speaking on? Or? Totally. Yeah. So, so I told the speakers, because this one's actually really far in advance for most events. So this event is September 12th in San Francisco. And when I reach out to people, yeah, so I reach out to them first. I have the speakers, but the speakers clearly are not, they're working on their business, so they're not building or creating a presentation right now. And so what I do is I get, I'm going to get the feedback from the attendees and I, I don't know, have a quick conversation with each of the speakers. I think what that also guides is I actually, so this is, some people may consider it insane and I don't know if there's actually a good approach and I'm not convinced that I'm going to do it again. But last time I actually hand curated where people were seated. So I said, these people sit at these tables. I, I actually do a table round. Uh, so versus like a, uh, what do you call it? Uh, versus like a stadium seating approach where you just have people in rows. I actually place everyone at a table round. So, and then I put, choose where they're sitting. If by some chance I can find out, you know, where or who can help out the other person basically. So when you're reaching out to people to try and sell tickets, um, you mentioned that you do a lot of cold emailing. What's your approach on that? Like first reach out. Are you kind of giving them just a little bit of information about what the thing is to gauge their interest? Are you dumping a whole lot of information in that first email? Uh, everything, you know, who the speakers are, all that stuff. No, cold emails in general, you don't want to provide a ton of information. You want to get them excited to talk to you. And I, I think that's the only job of a first email. Ultimately, there ends up, be, uh, there ends up being a, a number of interactions that take place. You know, I've, I don't remember where I read it. Could have heard it on your podcast, potentially. But I've heard it, this has you know, come up a number of times, which is it takes anywhere from you know, six to 12 times uh, so they usually say it's somewhere around six to eight uh, touch points with someone before they actually make a purchase. So the first one is really, hey, here's who I am. Here's the event I'm doing. Would you like to come? And so that's how I reach out to people. And are you trying to get them on the phone or are you just trying to get them to reply to the email? You know, I've tried the phone. I've done both. So it depends on, you know, honestly, my strategy is going to be different from the next person because at this point, we're actually talking about direct sales. And so ultimately, you want to cater to whatever you're best at. And so I've actually been getting way more closes from just email interactions. You know, sometimes I talk with them on the phone and there's just not enough to discuss about an event, right? Like either they're interested or they're not. The only thing that you're discussing at that point is maybe they're like, is this person a trustworthy person or are they not? So at this point, it's more of like a character analysis or character judgment and whether or not they actually believe in whatever that person's saying. Uh, because you just came out of the blue, out of nowhere and said, hey, here's this thing you got to you know, sign up for. And now they're saying, what? Okay, why do I need to attend this? And who are you? So I think that's sort of, uh, that, that needs to be built over time, your rapport with them. 
you mentioned that it can take like eight to 12 touch points to get someone to ultimately buy whatever you're selling. How do you know if you're like pestering someone at that point? I mean, I feel like personally, if I emailed someone six times and nothing's happened yet, if it were me, I would probably be pretty annoyed with that person. Um, so, I mean, I think this is just human relations. So, first, I'll give you a quick validation that it works. One guy I emailed last time, he lived in New York at the event I hosted in November, which was primarily for investors. And the, uh, he ended up not responding to seven of my emails. On the seventh one, though, he ended up buying a ticket and coming out to the event. So, Was that I, because you changed uh, any tone in that seventh email? Like, did you go from positive, positive, positive to this is the last time you'll hear from me, and then, boom, that was the deal closer? So I remember that's HubSpot's uh, approach. And... No, sometimes I do do that. Uh, so I'll end it with that. Hey, look, this is my last last reach out. I know I've been pestering you a lot. Yes, so that could, that definitely works. And I will add that at some point. Uh, it depends on, you know, honestly, I often just think about it for, it's really like a gut call sometimes. And in terms of what you were saying about annoying people, I think the key thing is saying, Look, if you if you don't want me to email you anymore, please do let me know. I get a lot of emails in my inbox as well, and the last thing I want is to be, you know, swamped with emails or an, have someone annoying me. So I want to avoid that. And so, yeah, I mean, I think it's just being a a genuinely kind person, and or at least, you know, at least being genuine. I'd say so, letting them know, hey. I'm here still, but although, the, you know, there was the one thing that I would say that, you know, HubSpot has implemented, which is different with events here, is their sort of drip email campaign process or email nurturing process where it's, here's this other interesting thing. Here's this other interesting thing. Here's this other interesting thing. And that'd be great, but that's way more valuable or that's, that sort of strategy only works when you have a high priced product that you can sell. So if my event now was $5,000 or even over $1,000, I may consider beginning to implement some of those strategies. Right. How much does the event cost, this particular one? This one is $500 or 499 And that was actually based on the feedback that I got from a bunch of people. I started off with the event with just the concept, nothing more, and emailing people and saying, hey, I'm doing this event. It's $1,500. And some people are like, whoa, that's shocking. I will say the demographics also had an impact that it's San Francisco. But they didn't, it also was, I think there was maybe a value disconnect with, with ultimately the customer here. And that they perceived it as a traditional conference type of event versus an intensive seminar, which is going to boost their business by... X amount, a lot of them are just, they just put it all into that same bucket. And so that, that becomes a fairly challenging thing. But yeah, I went out and asked that to everybody and all three people came back with the exact same price. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like if you, uh, if you could really show the, uh, if you could show the value that they're going to be able to create after they leave, 
then the difference between 500 or 1500 or even 3000 isn't really significant if they're going to be able to increase sales at an existing SaaS company. You yeah. Can, you can cover that pretty quick. Well, and that's the goal. I mean, the whole pitch is you should walk out of here knowing 50, a hundred thousand dollars, a hundred, you know, $500,000. I don't know the amount, but you should get 10 to a hundred X the value. And I've seen other people say guaranteed, but I'd rather do the guarantee if it was a higher price, because it's almost like I'm jumping through all these hoops to satisfy people that ultimately I think they're either interested or they're not. And so your goal is just to go after the people that are interested in whatever it is that you're selling and not waste your time on the people who just aren't interested and can't be convinced. You're, so, right. I think this, that the same goes for you know any product that you're building as well. Yep. So what piece of advice would you give to someone who's going to plan their first event? And are there any like resources you can think of up, off the top of your head that would be helpful? I think with planning an event, I mean, honestly, you should just start doing it uh, in terms of don't, you know, some of the marketing strategies that I'm discussing are way more, they, they're both time consuming and just way more, I don't want to say advanced as though that's, uh, but it really is, it, it's just extra steps that you need to go through. And so I think the best thing is like, you know, use something like Eventbrite and just come up with an idea and start trying to get some people together. And I think starting small is totally the way to go. I've seen people, and especially if you're in an area which is outside of Silicon Valley, which is already super dense with events. I mean, there's like five things every night. So in some of these other cities, there's always a need for an additional event. And so sometimes you can just sort of present it and get 10 people there and then get 50 people at the next one. And I think it sort of happens organically. So just starting is the key thing. In terms of resources, I mean, honestly, I actually don't know of any resources that all. I went and bought a book on event planning once. And in the back of that book was a spreadsheet that showed you all of the costs. And I put that into my own spreadsheet and I'm still using it today, which, so maybe I could share that or something. Yeah, that would but, be great. But the, yeah, that's, that's for larger events. So you're thinking about things like audiovisual, printing, uh, costs if you pay for speakers or anything like that. Those are for larger events. For the smaller ones, it's pretty straightforward. And I think the best way to learn is just go to another event and pay attention that everything, every single thing that happens along the way, rather than just interacting with people that are there, stand back and say, what are all the components of this? Well, one, we have a venue. Two, is there food or drinks? How does someone go about negotiating drinks? And now I'd honestly just go Google that. I worked with someone else uh, early on, my friends at Tech Cocktail, I helped them host out an event in DC. And I, I, you know, I learned through the process that way as well. Go help someone else out who's got an event and say, hey, can I help you? And that, that's probably the easiest way to get started. And then two, you, know, you can move on from there because you're going to have all the information, all the questions you have will be answered by the other event organizer. Do you find that with something like SAS Masters that you need to pay for speakers? No. An so, event with 100, 200 people, a handful of speakers, one day. So the price of your event is directly correlated to how challenging it'll be to convince 
a speaker to come for free. So a free event. Now on the there is a flip side to that. It's not it's not a perfect curve or a line even for that matter. Uh, it's at the low price at the free event. Free event you may be able to pull it off where it's like ten dollars or twenty dollars. I went to an event the other weekend and they were only charging ten or twenty dollars for an incredibly high quality event. And I was like, this is crazy. Why aren't you why aren't you charging more? And so at that point when it's at that weird uh, sort of weird pricing, I guess the main thing is good speakers want to start getting paid, but at the same time, they're also trying to promote their existing services. So if you can give them a room of people that they can benefit from, then uh, many of them will come for free. I I always say start trying for free and then some of them will say, you know, Johnny whoever uh, charges for their events and you can say I, either cool or not interested or this is the most we have for a budget and most of the time people will say okay I bought one speaker a plane ticket okay from LA which doesn't cost much yeah it's funny what you said about just starting because I see a lot of overlap with that with podcasting or even writing like with the podcast I think we scheduled our first interview and at that point we had to figure it out because we couldn't flake out on it. And then once we recorded it, we had to figure out how to get it on iTunes. And once we started, it became clear what we had to do. Whereas if we'd planned for months, it would have never happened. Same thing with writing. We hit publish on the first article. After that, it's much easier. You learn what to do through experience versus saying that you want to start blogging or you want to start a podcast or you want to start events. You just have to get one on the calendar. Totally. And I think editorial... All of it is editorial, as I mentioned. I think events fall into the editorial space and it's curation of of some kind. So, yeah, it's definitely a... And, you know, making that a great experience is different from making a podcast great, which is different from making a blog great, which is different from making an ebook great. You know, all those different things have their own form or whatever. Yeah. Well, this has been great. Thanks so much for coming on. Could you let everyone know where they can keep up with you online? So you can just go to startupstats.com and you can also follow me on Twitter, I guess, all Nick, A-L-L-N-I-C-K, or shoot me an email, nick at startupstats.com. Perfect. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Nick. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Rocket Ship Podcast. If you haven't yet, pop open iTunes and subscribe to be notified of future episodes. We have some really great ones lined up. And while you're there, leave us a review. We really appreciate each and every one of them.
Look how beautiful it is. 